All right, kids, if you want to come on up to the front and take your places on the front pew. Hey, Mr. Lakin. Okay, everybody squeeze in. We still have one more person to fit in. There we go. Thank you. Well, some of you guys weren't here earlier, and we passed out some Christmas gifts. So, is there a person named Neva here? Oh, there you are. Merry Christmas. Is there a person named uh, Marie here? <gasps> Merry Christmas, Marie. Is there a person named Skylar here? No, he's already gone downstairs, so this is for Skylar. And is there someone named Tihan? All right, now... There are still some people that didn't get, like Mr. Lakin and Ms. Z. And then there's also Victoria and there's Odin. That's four people in our church that didn't get these because these gifts were ordered even before Christmas time. And it took all the way until just now to get them. So we're going to have to order more so that you guys will have them. Hopefully we'll get them very soon, okay? And then when we get them, we will give them to you. I promise. As a matter of fact, I pinky promise. You want a pinky promise with me? Do you know what that means? Pinky promise with me, Z. Do you know what pinky promise means? What does pinky promise mean? It means what? It means you have to keep it. You can't lie. Pinky promise is more than just a regular promise. It means you have to keep it. You know, when I was a kid, I used to say, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you and hope to die and stick a needle in my eye if I break it. That would be horrible. I don't want to die. And I don't want anybody to stick a needle in my eye. So I better not break that promise. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? But you know, some people do that. Some people make these promises even more than just saying yes or no and saying, I promise to do something. You know, some people even say, I swear to God. And that's not good. That's not good at all. You should never take God's name in vain like that. But some people do that because they think by using God's name, that can prove that their promise is good. But Jesus himself said, when you make a promise, all you should do is say yes. That's it. You don't have to make any special words or any special anything. Just say yes. And if you don't want to do it, say no. That's all you should do. That's what Jesus taught us. But you know what's really cool? Jesus did make promises to us. Like one of the promises he made to us. Let me read it to you. It's in the Bible. It's so, so, so cool. He spoke through his friend named John when this was written. It says, where does it say it? There it is. No, it doesn't. That's not it. I'm looking in the wrong part of the page. There it is. If we confess our sins, what does it mean to confess? It, it means to say, I did it. Like if your mom says, who broke the cookie jar? And Adrian goes, Audrey did. That's not confessing. That's tattling. But if Adrian actually broke the cookie jar and he says, I did, mom, that's confessing. That's telling the truth and saying, I did it. So the Bible says, if we confess our sins, 
God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And he will not only do that, he will make us clean. He will make us clean in his sight. That's a promise that the Bible says. If you confess your sins, God will forgive. That's what it says. And you know what's also cool? Here's another verse out of the Bible. It is impossible for God to lie. That's found in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. It is impossible for God to lie. God will never tell a lie. So if God said in First John, if you confess your sins, I will forgive your sins. You know God is not lying because it's impossible for God to lie. So when God makes promises to us, we can believe him and we can trust him. And so I'm making a promise to you that those of you who didn't get your Christmas gift today, you will get a Christmas gift. It just may take a while. Okay. All right. Let's might take uh, hopefully not a year, but it might take a few months. We'll just have to see. Okay. But we will get it to you soon. As soon as we possibly can. Let's pray. God, I ask that you help us to understand more and more and more what it means to make promises and to trust you and to hear your promises to us. And I ask God that you would bless these kids. Help them now as they go to their time in their class. Help them to hear from you through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you guys can head on back now. Thank you. See, Roy, I told you it worked perfectly with my children's sermon. He came up to me before church and said, we got a problem. I said, no, God's timing is perfect. God knows exactly what God needed to say and what needed to be done. <sighs> well, there is a, uh, there's a Bible verse that's been in front of you all morning long. It says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. It's a very specific promise. And it is one you can take to the bank. But that's not the promise I want to look at in the Bible. We'll come back to this in just a little bit. The one I want to look at is found in Genesis chapter 15. So if you'll turn with me to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 15. And it's going to be the first six verses for now. We'll stay in 15 for a few minutes. But the first six verses of Genesis chapter 15, this is God speaking to Abraham. God making promises to Abraham. God said in verse in verse one, it says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abram. Now I said Abraham. It's actually Abram. But at this point in time, fear not, Abram. I, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son 
shall be your heir. And he brought, and God brought Abram outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then God said to Abram, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and God counted it to Abram as righteousness. I wish I had that close of a relationship with God where I heard specifically words of God specifically to my life that I could hold on to forever and forever and forever. And unfortunately, I can't point to a single time in my life that I can think of where God came to me in a vision and gave me a specific promise. It doesn't mean that God hasn't spoken to me. It doesn't mean that God hasn't given me promises. But I can't say that God has interacted with me in a way that I actually saw a vision of God talking to me. But I can sure point to some stuff, which I'll get to in just a few minutes. But I want to examine this for just a few minutes. We all know the story of Abram and Sarah. We all, I mean, Sarai at this point in the story. We all understand and know the struggles that they lived in in this culture. That Abram and his, and his wife Sarai had moved to Ur and then God called them. To, I mean, they were from Ur. They moved to Quran and then God called them out of there to move to Canaan. And they had absolutely no connection with that land. But God had a very specific reason for bringing them there. And God brought him there. And he said, I'm going to make you a nation. And Abram's like, yeah, right. You're going to make me a nation. I don't even have one kid, let alone a nation. And God's like, no, 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 you you don't understand. I'm speaking these words over you. I'm going to make you a nation. Right. And God said in this vision... He said, Abram said, God, reality, okay, reality. We're old. It's long past opportunity for my wife and I to have a child. And the only one I got who's going to inherit everything from me is this guy who's one of my servants. He's not even my own relationship. I mean, physical blood relationship. He's just a servant of mine. He's going to get everything. So God, come on. Don't, hello, don't promise anything. That you, that I can't hold on to. This is craziness. And God said, come outside with me, Abram. So they left the tent and walked outside. And God said to Abram, look up. Look into the sky. Abram's looking up in the, now, for those of us who live in Alaska, who live outside of the city, when you look up in the sky, it's pretty glorious. I can't remember when I was in the lower 48 ever really seeing the Milky Way with my naked eye, but I can see it from this property in the middle of the night. Just turn off the lights outside and it's like, whoa. And God took Abram out in the middle of a desert area where there were no lights at all and said, look up in the sky. And that's what he saw. And God said, You see how many stars there are? How many do you think there are, Abram? I don't know. I can't 
Can't, you can't count them? That's the number of offspring you're going to have. That's my promise to you. And it says, Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it as righteousness, taking God at his word. There was absolutely no guarantee. God didn't pinky promise with Abram. God simply spoke the word. Now, Abram did have a relationship with God, so I think he probably already understood and knew the nature of God. And although the book of, book of Hebrews hadn't been written when Abram was on the earth, I think Abram knew God can't lie. And so I th- the, the idea of him taking God at his word was... Well, of course you're never going to lie to me. That's not in your nature to lie. But is this real? Are you really talking to me? See, it wasn't a matter of I can't believe you, God, because you might try to trick me. That's not what was going on here. Abram was like, are you serious? This is this is a real thing you're talking to me? You are truly telling me that I'm going to get the heart, my heart's desire. That I really am going to have kids with my wife. And that not only are we going to have a kid, but we're going to have a multitude of relatives that came from us. Wow. And Abram believed God and God credited to credited it to him as righteousness. That's what's going on here. This isn't so much the story of God making a promise. God can't lie. God, when God speaks, it's going to happen. The issue was Abram, a man who had no reason to believe it to be possible, owned it as a specific promise from God Almighty. Now, we know the story. You can go to Hebrews chapter 11 and you can read. Abram became Abraham, and yes, he had a son, but he never lived to see the promise fulfilled. He lived, he lived with the hope of the promise, but he never lived and saw the promise fulfilled. Do you hear the difference? But he believed God. And God credited him with righteousness because of the belief. Now, moving farther in chapter 15, from 17 on, I mean from verse 7 on. And God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Now, you just believed God in the one statement. Why can't you believe God when he says this to you? Prove it to me, God. Pinky promise me. Make it, make it so there's no way I cannot believe it, God. How can I know? We are such stupid human beings. <laughs> How am I to know that I shall possess it? And God said to him, 
Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. So Abram brought all these to them, and these animals were slaughtered. And when we get into the discussion of it, we don't need to read that part of it at this point. This was not God's thing. This was a cultural thing. If you go back and look at the history and the culture of this area where Abram had come from, that part of the world, whenever a negotiation was being made, they would say, cross my heart and hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Literally, that's what they're saying. I mean, it's like, shake my hand. It's like, cut my palm open, you cut your palm open, we'll mix our blood together, we're now blood brothers, we can't break it. There's this this cultural thing going on here. This wasn't God culture, this was Abram culture. This is the world that he knew. When you were making a contract, not a contract, when you were making a covenant with someone, you did this practice. You took these animals and you slayed them and you cut them in half and laid them one on either side of a small gully. And not to be gross, but then the blood would flow into that gully and become a little a little stream, if you will. And both parties to this covenant would walk that blood path. And it was a, a nonverbal statement, an agreement between the two of them that if either one of us breaks this covenant, may it be done to us what has been done to these animals. It's a powerful, powerful covenantal promise God is making. Abram, you want to know that what I'm saying is true? You want to know that when I tell you this land will be yours by your descend, owned by your descendants? This is how you can know. Let's do this covenantal walking of the blood path. But wait a second. God changed it slightly. Look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring I give this land. And he gave him the boundaries. Abram didn't walk the path. God did. God was the only one in the, in the covenant that walked the path. So what God said was, if you break this promise, I'll pay the penalty. Wow. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the stuff that it could possibly mean. You could read commentary after commentary after commentary. Our focus this morning is simply on the simple idea of what it means when God makes a promise to you. God was willing To go so far as to say, if I break this promise, Abram, 
If I indeed don't give you offspring, if I indeed don't make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky, and if indeed your offspring do not become the owners and possessors of this land, then let it be done to me what has been done to these animals. That's how serious I am, Abram. You want to know how you can know? That's how you can know. So God was willing to say to Abram, I'm serious about this. This isn't a game we're playing. This isn't some light and fluffy thing. This is serious. The challenge was, though, that Abram never saw it in his lifetime. But he believed God. He owned it. All the way up until the time of his death. And then... God ultimately fulfilled the promise. Now, bringing us into our own world, look at this, the, the screen on the, in front of you, the one that says John 14, 3. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. <coughs> if you go to John 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He is saying to them, I'm getting ready to leave. But if I go, I want you to understand I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will come again and will get you to take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah, the anointed one, was telling his apostles, his central group, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm coming to get you and take you with me. There's two things I want to ask you about this. Number one, why do you think that's a promise to you? And number two, why in the world hasn't it happened yet if it was only for the disciples? See, in Second Peter, if you, if you, uh, if you were to, to, to look at it, Second Peter chapter 3 says this. Let, let's, I'm going to go ahead and turn to it. Second Peter chapter 3. <coughs> Excuse me. Verses 9 through 13. Second Peter 3, 9 through 13. This is talking about, Peter's talking about the fact that the Lord is going to come back. And he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives and holiness and good godliness, waiting for and hastening the day, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. So we see here a couple of things and they go back to the, the question I had you think about. 
Number one, why do you think that promise is for you out of John 14 when he was talking to his disciples? Because the disciples taught the people of God after Jesus left that it was for everybody. It wasn't just specifically for them. And it has been handed down to us by that teaching. Number two, and that's right here in in 2 Peter, that's why we have that teaching. Number two, Peter addresses the question that people were saying, well, wait a minute, if God's going to do this, how come it hasn't happened yet? I mean, come on. Some of you people are already dying. He didn't come back to get you. And Peter said, if you understand the promise, the promise is that God has gone to prepare, Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us so that we can come and join him. But the, but God is not desiring that any one soul be lost. And so God is willing to forestall what will happen until all come into the harvest. Until every last soul who is going to say yes to God is in. Then God the Father will turn to the Son and say, it's time. Go and get my children. We don't know who that last soul will be. That last soul may not yet be born. We don't know. The Father knows. Jesus himself said in the scriptures, I don't even know the date or the hour because only that father has that knowledge and he has chosen to keep it himself. But if you go back to that question that Abram asked God when a specific promise was being made, how am I to know that I shall help that I shall possess it? If I'm looking at the scriptures, because like I said at the beginning, I can't point to a time when God has ever specifically came to me in a vision and spoken to me and shown me things in a vision. But I can tell you that through his word, he has spoken to me and given me very specific things that I can own. And I I want you to understand in this Bible, there are certain things that are promised that are general They are for every single one of us who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this book are some specific, some promises that were specific to the person being spoken to. Let's give you some examples. Jeremiah 29 11. I guarantee you most of you have that posted in your house somewhere. What does it say? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not harm you, plans for a hope and a future or something along those lines. You know what's what I'm talking about. Well, you, that wasn't being spoken to you. Jeremiah was talking to the people of Israel long before Jesus was even on the earth. But it is a general promise to all of the people of God, at least the nation of Israel. Now, maybe it could be a specific promise to you if God declared it to you. But it wasn't declared to all peoples. It was declared to this group of people. But it was not to a specific person, but to the people of God. Another one, a general one that I own for myself. I read to the kids this morning. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That one you can take to the bank. That's across the board. It's a general promise. Another one, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6, 7, 8, 9. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. 
That is a general promise from God. If you are struggling with something, if you're fearful, if you're anxious, you can claim that promise. God, I'm coming to you with prayer and petition and with thanksgiving. And I'm asking you, God, to bring the peace of God, which passes all understanding, so it will guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. That's a promise that you can own. And you can say, God, please fulfill that in me. But specific promises. Who who got specific promises in the Bible? Well, Abram, obviously. Who else? Can you think of somebody else from the Old Testament that got a specific promise? What about Joshua? After Moses was taken and Joshua is now in charge. If you go to, and we're not going to take the time this morning, but if you go to the book of Joshua, you will see where God very specifically says, be not afraid. I will be with you. If you this, then I will. Those are the specific promises that God made to Joshua so that Joshua could take up the mantle of leadership that Moses had. King David was given very specific promises. If you and your children will follow me, I will guarantee you that the throne will all, your, a member of your house will always be on the throne. Very specific promises. I can tell you in my own life, a very specific promise that God gave me. It was when I was trying to discern whether or not I was supposed to be the pastor of this church. And <clears throat> I was, uh, for those of you who weren't here back then, I was scheduled to have a phone interview with the church board here. Apparently the church board was gathering, I'm assuming, here at the church to talk with me over the phone. And it was, um, we were, it was scheduled for a Wednesday night. I think it was like seven o'clock our time, eight o'clock our time. I don't remember which. So that, you know, back that up a couple hours to here. Everyone had gathered here. Renee and I were at my house. We had the phone conversation when we hung up and that was, that was the, the end of it. But I asked God to let me know, even before that interview, one way or the other, was I supposed to be the pastor of this church or not? And so I was fasting and praying, and I was at work that day. It was a Wednesday. I remember specifically it was a Wednesday, and I was at work, and I was fasting. So when it was lunchtime, I went to one of the prayer chapels at Focus on the Family, which is where I worked. And I was, I spent that entire hour in prayer asking God to give me clear understanding. I said, I literally said, God, I don't want to walk out of this room without knowing that I know that I know one way or the other. I don't want to go into this interview guessing or hoping. I want to know that this is your will or not. And I opened my eyes and on the wall they had, uh, Letters that had been mounted on the wall that formed a Bible verse. And this was the Bible verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, 
whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine. It was mounted on the wall in the prayer room. I was in prayer, reading the scriptures, praying. And literally I said, God, I need to know before I walk out of this room. I need to know. And there were those words. And God literally whispered to me. Rejoice. Don't be anxious. You've made your prayer. You've made your petition. You've thanked me. My peace is yours. Don't think about anything unkind, unlovely. Don't think about anything that would bring you down. Know only the good. But the thing that God specifically spoke, which convinced me, that I was to be the pastor of this church was verse 9. Now, I was in Bible college. I had been in Bible college for five years studying, preparing to be a minister. And verse 9 says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And God said, Bob, what you've learned, what you've received, what you've heard, what you've seen, put them into practice. They're in two rivers. And I promise you, I will be there with you. You can go in confidence. Now, I walked out of that prayer room 100% convinced that I was called to be the pastor of this church and I hadn't even talked to a single one of the members of this congregation yet. And I got home from work and we went to church that evening and then we came home from church and it was time for the phone call and the phone call happened and then after the phone call was over with, we hung up and Renee and I looked at each other and Renee said, so what do you think? And I went, oh, I don't even need to think. I already know. She said, what do you mean? And I shared with her what I just shared with you. And she said, but I'm not, I'm not there. I said, that's okay. We won't go until you are. And the end result was the board asked for us to fly up. We flew up a few weeks later. We came here for a weekend. And during the worship service on Sunday morning, my wife was sitting right over there. And God spoke to her in this church service, in that pew, said, This is where you're supposed to be. And then she came up to me and told me. And I was like, okay, now we can say yes. And then God said, no, you can't. Literally. For those of you who were here that night, you remember. After the Sunday evening service, we sat down right in this space and we talked. And I told you, I am fully convinced. I have been fully convinced from the day we had the phone interview. That I am supposed to be the pastor. And my wife has just testified that she is fully convinced. But we have two daughters at home who will be coming with us. And we need to give them the honor of having the opportunity to have a say in this. And so I can't give you an answer. 
And so we went home. And that weekend, while we had been around here, we had borrowed, somebody had loaned us a video recorder. And so we were video recording. This is long before the days of smartphones. And we were video recording everything. I mean, Tina Hot Springs Road, the church. And then we went home and we were watching that video with our girls. And I turned and looked at one of my daughters and there were tears streaming down her cheeks. And I looked and I said, are you okay, baby? And she went, we're moving to the sticks. (laughs) And I said, no, we're not. We don't have to go there yet. We haven't said we're going. And she said, yes, we have to go. If God wants us to go, we have no choice. We have to go. And I said, sweetie, do you feel like God wants us to go? Yes, I know we have to go. What about you? And the other one. "Mm -hmm." (laughs) And so I made a phone call and I said to the district superintendent, we'll accept. And he said, okay. And then they flew us up here or not flew us up. We drove up here. So literally from the very first phone conversation to actually arriving the day that we arrived, it was 12 weeks. One of the fastest moves I've ever done in my life. But I came here knowing that I knew, that I knew, that I knew that it was a specific promise from God to me. And it has held true now for 18 plus years. So I am telling you as your pastor, you can know from God's word a specific promise that's yours. But I have one last thing I have to talk to you about. I can't tell you who, because it would be totally inappropriate. But there are people who have been affiliated with this church, who even right now today are struggling because they thought they had a specific promise from God and it didn't come to pass. And they are now struggling with even wanting to have any kind of relationship with God. And when they came to me and as the pastor and said, Pastor, what's this? What am I supposed to say to that? I can tell you in Hebrews it says, it is impossible for God to lie. I can tell you from every story I see in the Bible that God does specifically make promises to people. I can tell you that some promises in the Bible are general. They are across the board. Every single one of us can own it. There are some promises in the Bible that are specific and they are only for this person or this group of people. I can tell you that God, from my personal experience, God can take something that was specific to a group or to a single person and can use it and make it a promise of my own. But what I cannot tell you is why it hasn't come to pass in your own life. Why? I don't know. That's a mystery. I cannot answer it. I'm sorry. I wish that I could. But I can tell you, I can tell you that if you know the person of God, you can know that if God did promise this to you, he would never lie to you. And although it has not come to pass yet, It doesn't mean it won't come to fruition. You may not live long enough to see it, but God specifically promised you something. All I can say is hold on to it.
don't know what else to tell you. I wish I had the answer. I wish that I could make it all nice and easy and cozy for you. But I don't think God did that for Moses. I don't think God did that for Abraham. I don't think God did it for Noah. And on and on and on and on. Every single one of the disciples, including the beloved disciple John, died. Jesus did not come back for them. Did they lose hope? Did they lose faith? No. They held until the very end and then they saw God in glory. Well, did Jesus lie? No. It's impossible for God to lie. Well, then make sense of this, Pastor. I haven't a clue. Except what Peter said in his book. God isn't slow in the way that we think of slowness. And we may not understand it, but maybe God hasn't sent Jesus back to get the rest of us because there's still a couple of you that are holding out. And he knows that you're due to make a decision and he wants to give you that last opportunity because we do understand once it's over with, it's over with. You can't fix it after death. So if it hasn't come to pass and you know that 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 God gave it to you, then just hold on. That's all I can tell you. And I know that's not satisfying, but that's all I can tell you. Let's pray. God, I don't know if there's anybody in this room that are struggling with stuff right now that you've promised that they don't seem to be seeing. I just know, God, that you told me to say these words. So I ask, Father, that you would, again, as you did in my own life, let the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus while they wait until the time comes that you see fit to bring about what you have spoken over them. And if they never see it while they're on this earth, may they never lose faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.